Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome to the January listeners episode. We are excited. We got some great stories. It's your host, Jessica. And as always, I'm joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hello, hello. If you want to hear your stories, like the stories we're about to read, make sure you submit those to us. You can turn them in several ways, but the best way to do it is through our email, which is at threespookedgirls at gmail.com. If you want to contact us on social media or interact with us on social media, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our handle is Three Spooked Girls. If you want to hang out with us in our Facebook group, it's Three Spooked Girls Official. We have some really fun things. People put amazing memes and posts in there. Mm -hmm. This is what happens. I like wake up in the morning because all y'all on the East Coast put such amazing things in the morning. And I'm like, I want to share this as I'm like scrolling through my feed. And I'm like, oh, it's already in there. (laughs) You beat me to it. They're great. So if you want to hang out with us, you can on those platforms. And if you want to help support the show, you can do that by becoming one of our patrons. You can click the link tree below that takes you to our Patreon account, or you can go to patreon.com slash three girls. We have amazing things in there. You get bonus content, five and up get video content. Five and up also have their own special Facebook group where we do live streams in there. I'm pretty sure Tara just did a live stream last week. Mm -hmm. So it's some pretty awesome stuff that you guys will definitely want to check out. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar and then our tiers go up. Make sure you go check it out. And we're going to dive right into our stories now. And Tara is going to read us one of our listeners stories. I am. This one is going to come from Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. All right. So she says, hey, ladies, I've been holding on to this story, so I hope you enjoy it. About 10 years ago, some family friends asked if I would dog sit for them while they were out of town. Being a broke college student, I jumped at the opportunity. To set up the house layout, it was a two-story Rambler house. On the first floor, in the kitchen and in the living room, they had the old antique circle photos hanging all over. I believe there was also a collection of dolls. Our favorite. Our favorite. Great. I'm sure they were porcelain, too. Um, (laughs) Down the hallway were the rooms. In the lower level was a living area and another kitchen area. The second night, I was laying in the bed, and the dog was at the top of the stairs, barking down into the lower level. I'm a true believer of animals being sensitive to the paranormal. I called my mom almost in tears and asked her to come over and spend the night. I felt so uneasy and promised her she could have part of the money. She thankfully came over. That was the last night I stayed there. I would go and let the dog out throughout the day, but did my best to avoid being there at night. The one afternoon, I was in the basement, waiting for the dog to come back in. In the basement, there was a bunch of antique items. Out of nowhere, I heard some old-time music start playing. I ran out of that house so quickly and refused to go back in alone. Fuck that. She says, one other story. 
my grandpa passed away in my grandparents' house. One night I was hanging out with my mom and grandma in the room where my grandpa passed away in, and when I would look to my left, I could see clearly into the kitchen. At this point, I had glasses, so I couldn't see clearly out of my peripherals, but I could see my grandpa standing clear as day, leaning up against the microwave like he always did. Every time I would turn and look, he was gone. He did this to me a couple of times. I finally told my mom after a couple of years, and she told me I've been watching too many ghost shows. After my grandma passed away, my mom was in the house and saw my grandpa standing in the same exact spot. Side note, none of the grandkids liked being alone in the house. We all would wait until an adult went to the bed upstairs, or once they would wake up, we would go downstairs with them. I truly believe we were sensing my grandpa's spirit there, but didn't know that's what it was. Towards the end of my grandma's life, one night she kept saying dad was waiting for her to leave. To me, that enforced that he was there the whole time and never left my grandma alone. Aw. How sweetly terrifying. Right? Alrighty. Thanks, Kelly. Okay. Well, y'all need to strap in for this next one. <laughs> I'm very excited. This comes from our listener, Amy, and it is not a paranormal story. It is a true crime story. <gasps> Are y'all excited? I'm fucking pumped. Okay. Here's the story of... And I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, you know I like to cuss, but this, Amy wrote it in there for me, so I appreciate it. So <laughs> <laughs> here's the story of Joey motherfucking Polinsky, Hun, which I have a little side note about Hun. I love the show Kitchen Nightmare. I have a Samsung TV and it has like random channels that are free and it has an entire channel of just Kitchen Nightmare. And so I became very familiar with Baltimore because some lady owned a restaurant called the Hun Cafe and she trademarked the word Hun and the entire city of Baltimore hated her. <laughs> Which that is epic <laughs> to be known as the, the one lady in the city everyone hates. Right. Ugh. So Amy, if you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Hold the fuck on, because this one is all over the place. I have a couple different contact points with this one. It gets batshit nuts. The summary will say, Joseph C. Joe Polinsky was a spree killer in the suburbs of Baltimore, who in March of 2000 terrorized residents in the region by killing four people and taking a family of three hostage in one of the longest one-man standoffs ever. Let's backtrack to the summer of 1994. Maybe 1995. My cousin is six months younger than I am and about 100 pounds lighter. She meets this guy at McDonald's where all the teenage meat cutes happen and they start talking. Talking is in quotation marks. He's very braggy, a real shit talker. He's a bodybuilder, drives a nice car, yada, yada, yada. You know the type. In the process of this, two crazy things happen. My aunt does a handwriting analysis on the guy and senses he's kind of off, kind of off in quotations. My cousin, being the super slick blood relative of mine that she is, rifles through his wallet while he's doing the handwriting sample. In doing so, she finds multiple identifications with different names in the same photo and figures out that he's about 10 years older than he's claiming to be. She asks him, who are you really? And his super slick manipulative asshole reply is, who do you want me to be? She's 16. She told him to kick rocks and went on to have six babies and four stepchildren and is really happy in life. Back to 2000. I moved back to Baltimore from Texas in February of 2000. I was borrowing my dad's Dodge Aries K car. Mine was in the shop. This car was like a boat. I was picking up a friend leaving her housing development and a cop pulls out behind me. Signals for me to pull over. I do. He tells me I ran a stop sign. I know I didn't to this day. 
I was confused, but the car was kind of unfamiliar to me. Then he tells me I need to open the trunk. I open the trunk, nothing. He lets me go, no ticket, no warning, but leaves me with the total Twilight Zone feeling. No one is out on the streets. Maybe if I was concerned with anything other than myself and what I was going to do next, I would have known that a psychopath killer was on the loose and everyone was staying locked down. Amy, (laughs) turn a TV on, Speedy. Next day, I'm at work. My dad calls to tell me that if I watch the news, not to be worried. My Aunt Dolly had been taken hostage by that psychopath (laughs) and he took her teapot and stole her car. He apparently walked into her house and she said, who the hell are you? And he said, don't you know who I am? I'm on TV. Ugh. Yeah. Um, Dad, are you serious? Don't be worried. <laughs> Your aunt is fine. Okay. It's that little meme with the dog in hell with the coffee. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Y'all have no idea how mean this lady was. He told her to lay face down on the bed and she told him, no, if you're going to kill me, I'm going to see it coming. Mean or just like really well spirited? Hell yeah. He told her he was hungry and asked her if he could have something to eat. And she told him, you can have two cookies. I mean, (laughs) she's tied up and still calling out portion control. This is my favorite person. (laughs) Aunt Dolly is like the, I'm sorry, but like, this is the most amazing thing to me. Like there's a psychopath in her house and she's like, "Mm -mm, if you're going to kill me, just kill me. I'm done. Like, I'm not laying down. That's not how this is going to work. No, no. You're hungry? Fine. You can eat. You can have two cookies, though. Only two. Cookies are fucking expensive. She's right. (laughs) It sounds more like this is portion control. Honey, you don't need more than two. What if they were Girl Scout cookies? She don't want no dumbass eating all her Thin Mints. Hello? (laughs) (laughs) That's like $2 with a cookie. (laughs) Okay. Seriously. Brass balls on this broad. When I was a kid, she would make me take two gingerbread cookies and I'd have to st- and I have to sneak away and shove them into the trash because I hate gingerbread. Oh. <laughs> She's a boss ass bitch. <laughs> Her information isn't captured in the report because she didn't have time to deal with that nonsense. She stayed alive and mean as fuck. She died of natural causes in her old age. So she wasn't one of the four victims mentioned earlier. I'm going to try really hard to condense these facts, but I'm pretty sure this story could be a full episode on its own. It might be. Dude, yes. So Joey had a history of domestic violence. He had been in and out of prison, mental institutions, and spent a good bit of his time on parole or probation. He had a long history of assault and battery, abusing several women, and a 16-hour standoff in Idaho in 1992. So... March 7th, 2000, Joey loses his fucking shit over his then-girlfriend, Tracy Whitehead. She's 20 at the time. He had been abusing her, and she wanted to leave him. So George and Gloria Shank provide her with a safe place to stay. Joey shows up, abducts Tracy, shoots George Gloria and neighbor David Myers. That's three murders at once. Here comes the manhunt. For 10 days, the police are looking for him. He's hiding in the woods, surviving like a maniac. The police created barriers and roadblocks. Joey still got through them and avoided capture. This did not please the police. The fourth killing, sweet baby angel, pregnant Jennifer McDowell, a mother of a two-year-old boy, was hit by a bullet during a failed carjacking attempt. He wasn't trying to steal her car. She just happened to be hit by the bullet. He then carjacks an 81-year-old lady who didn't get murdered. Tracy escapes the shitty hotel he has her held up in. He had checked them into the L. Rich as John Silver. 
They went outside to get the guns out of the car. Tracy sees the cops and runs. Joey hauls ass into the woods. March 10th, 2000. Joey has hightailed to Virginia. He kidnaps William Terrell and tells him to take him back to Baltimore County. He made Terrell take him to Best Buy and Target to purchase supplies. He tells Terrell he will shoot whoever is around if he doesn't comply. This is Terrell's explanation as to why he didn't get help when he went into the stores. That makes sense because it's not just like he's going to shoot you. He's going to shoot other people. Mm-hmm. March 17th, 2000. Joey breaks another police barrier and makes his way to Tracy Whitehead's mother's house. Lynn and her boyfriend, Andrew McCord, and their son, Bradley. The 12-year-old son let Joey in the house because he didn't know he was in danger. Apparently, I wasn't the only one not... Okay, Amy, he's 12. (laughs) You were of watching the news age. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This is where the shit hits the fan. Baltimore lost its ever-loving mind. For 97 hours, Joey held the family hostage in their own home. He didn't want to hear shit from law enforcement or negotiators. He wanted Tracy. He would randomly fire shots. No one was allowed in the neighborhood. The residents were put up in a shelter at the school. A barking dog was even killed during the standoff by Baltimore Police Tactical Squad. Mm. Aww. He just wanted to speak to Tracy. Negotiators wouldn't allow this in the case that he wanted to kill the hostages while she listened. March 21st, 2000. Tracy's mom and her mom's boyfriend make Joey a Zanny bar cocktail of iced tea and Xanax. Oh my gosh. Lynn and Andrew, go for you. Smart. He knocked out of sleep. The adult escaped out of the window and leave the kid in the house. <gasps> I immediately retract my sentence. You are dirtbags and I don't like you. Dumbasses. At me, Lynn and Andrew. Just do it. <laughs> Left a kid in the house with this known killer. You dumbasses. God. According to the officers, when the cops came into the house to save the kid, Joey sits up and is laying on top of his gun. He reached for the gun and the cops respond by shooting him 27 times. The woman who purchased the firearms for Joey was charged with illegally purchasing firearms for a convicted felon, ordered to pay $450,000 in civil lawsuits to the families of the victims. I was at a car dealership close by, test driving a car. You could see the helicopters and cops everywhere. I, I'm still oblivious as to what's going on. Why are other people at the car dealership? <laughs> Tracy Whitehead went to win a shitload of money from Howard Stern for the best bad luck story. Rumor has it the money wasn't spent well. I don't want y'all to get sued. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> My friend married her son. I can't make this shit up. If you mention Joey in Baltimore, almost everyone has a story. Welcome to Smaltimore. Big city, small town. Wow. Fuck yes for a true crime story. <laughs> that is like literally the best. True, Like I read that and like Tara and I div- divvy him up. And I'm like, mine, <laughs> my story. <laughs> I didn't even have a chance. Uh-uh. She mentioned the word true crime story. And I got curious because we've only ever, ever had one other one on the show. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our new patrons this month. We want to say thank you to Michael, our friends over at Boston Harbor Horror, a.k.a. Mike, Katie, Summer, Jessica L., Michaela, and also to Lexi for increasing to the next tier up. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. We love you guys so much. Thank you. We really, really appreciate it. 
So I have our next story. This comes from Tess, and I have another collection of haunts like my last submission. Mm -hmm. So Tess says, Hello, I've been listening to your podcast for the last few months. I started from the beginning, so I'm not caught up to the present, but I greatly enjoy your podcast and your banter as lifelong friends. Aw, thank you. If you choose to read my letter, you can share my first name and my profession to let those who are concerned about appearing, quote, crazy if they share supernatural experiences with a therapist, that they shouldn't be judged if the therapist is knowledgeable. If they are judged, they need to find a better therapist. Preach. Yes. And her position that she is referring to, she's an executive director of a therapeutic clinic Basically, we're not going to give away like where she works or anything, but that's essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. A very intelligent woman. So thank you, Tess, for listening to our show. (laughs) And giving me lots of reading to do. Yes. Super cool stuff. Anyway. Okay. So Tess's story. When I was five years old, my little brother and I shared a room in a duplex my mom and her new husband had just moved us to in a small town in Washington state where I had lived my whole life. It was the night before I was to begin kindergarten, and I was very excited, and because it was still warm outside, the sliding window had been opened with an intact screen to let in a slight breeze. I had finally fallen asleep. A few hours later, something woke me up. I looked to see if my three-year-old brother was awake, but he was sleeping peacefully. I turned my eyes to open the window and made direct eye contact with the devil, who was staring at me through the still-open window. I froze and couldn't look away. His head was red and horned, and his eyes glowed with cold fire. He smiled at me, and then he disappeared. I crawled back into bed, covered my head, and prayed to God for protection. I spent the next 10 years in my mother's hellish marriage to a monster. I believe the devil showed up to warn me. 51 years later, I still see his face in my memory. I've always been sensitive to spiritual and supernatural experiences. I entered the counseling field because I had been able to empathize and understand others and to assist them in recovery. In my life, I have had several experiences with both spiritual and supernatural, and these are a few of them. I grew up and married a wonderful man when I was 32 and had our only child when I was 36. We loved to travel, and when we were in Leeds, South Dakota, we visited the museum, which had been the home of the mayor. My six-year-old daughter and I went to the basement, which had the display of board games the kids had in the 1800s. The area was sectioned off and only had one entrance and exit and three long tables laid out next to each other. Each table had a different game. We started at the back, moved past the middle, which had several blank wood pieces laid out. I turned one over to see it was brightly painted. I put it back down so the wood was up and matched the others. My daughter decided on the front table and we sat to do a puzzle. No one was in the room with us. I felt a cold breeze on the back of my neck and I turned to see all the blank wood pieces had been turned over to their painted side. We looked at each other and decided to go upstairs. I told the lady who ran the museum and she shrugged and informed me that the mayor and the homeowner had his funeral in the basement and he was known to play tricks on visitors. The facility I work in is a renovated home from the 60s and a 1990 add-on. There is a galley kitchen that connects the two buildings. One morning around 7 a.m., I'm in my office and there's no one else in until 9 a.m. I had gone into the kitchen to make coffee. Everything was in its place. There was a stack of mixing bowls on top of the fridge and cups stacked on the dish rack. I returned to my office, which was directly to the left of the hallway, in the add-on. I was on the computer doing paperwork, and I heard a noise from the kitchen. I walked up the seven steps to the kitchen, and in the middle of the kitchen floor was a mixing bowl turned upside down and one cup right side up in the middle of it. There were several more and increasingly more distressful situations as time went on. Service dogs would not go in the old part, and they would refuse to go in the office next to mine. We finally had it smudged twice, and a priest came in for a blessing. Since then, it's been much better. 
In 2016, my family went on a trip through the South. We stayed in Eureka Springs and went on a tour of the Crescent Hotel, which is known to be haunted. Sidebar, if you guys haven't listened, we do have a mini on the Crescent Hotel. Check it out. Which I did tell Tess because at this point when she sent this email, she was catching up and hadn't listened to it. So. Oh, yeah. It was Jessica V's patron episode for the main feed. Yes, it was. And I'd been to Eureka Springs, so. <laughs> Jessica was like, this is so familiar. What? <laughs> <laughs> I read it and I was like, I know this place. <laughs> I was standing in an empty hotel room doorway with my left side propped against the door while the tour guide was several yards away and everyone else was in front of me with their eyes on her. I felt a cold breeze, a tug on my skirt, and a man whisper in my left ear, the one touching the door frame, saying, excuse me. I felt his breath on my ear and there was no one behind me. The end. Thank you, Tess. And big thank you for, I love when professionals <laughs> listen who like know things because Tess sent me like a lot of reading to do about old episodes that we did way back when we did the act. So I started, I tucked in a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read all that information. You ready to wrap us up with our last story? Yes. This comes from Heidi and it is also about a haunted basement. Man, this is the episode of Haunted Basements. <laughs> yes. We had a lot of submissions this month, but still send us more. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were about basements. So this just confirms that I don't want to own a house with a basement. Right? No, thanks. No, thanks. No, thank you. <laughs> the very first line of Heidi's story concerns me. Every house I've lived in growing up was haunted. But this is the story of the house I grew up, age 5 to 17 years old. I hope you're okay. <laughs> I really do. I'm concerned. When we moved in, the neighbor told us a story about a large hole in the wall of the basement. He said never to disturb it or examine the contents of the hole that went all the way back to the earth. He said the previous owner was an invalid woman who was cared for by her son and kept her in the basement. He would abuse her, neglect her, and eventually killed her, stuffing her body in the basement wall. The man was never found, and the police removed her body after the neighbors reported a foul smell. As soon as we moved in, until the day we sold the house, daily weird things would happen. Light bulbs exploding, things going missing and turning up somewhere else, chains on the stairs. You know, the usual. <laughs> a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. <laughs> One night, my best friend and I were messing around in the basement, and we were standing there talking about whatever, and we heard a gurgling noise. Looking down, we saw some kind of black goo or tar-like substance coming from the solid concrete floor. It got bigger and bigger until we jumped over it and ran outside. On a nightly basis, I would lay in bed, staring at the tall closet in the hallway, as it would churn and change color. I don't know what how closets churn. If you have to describe something as churning and it's a closet, that sounds so mortifying. Yeah. I always knew it was a vortex or a portal of some kind. For what, I don't know. But I was never harmed, nor anyone in my family. I recently was able to visit the house and its owners were very nice and have never had any strange occurrences there. The basement is completely remodeled and the hall closet is gone. I'm going to go with your basement was haunted and your hall closet was haunted for a thousand, Alex. Mm-hmm. Ugh. <sighs> yeah. I'm sorry, but like if you had to lay in bed every night staring at the thing you thought was haunted, that would be so scary. Not a fan. Not a fan. No, not a fan. <laughs> so that wraps up our January listeners episode. If you want your story featured, just go ahead and send us an email at threespookedgirls at gmail.com and we'd be happy to read your story on the show. We will catch you on Thursday for another Stabby. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.